Welcome back to Panic Mode, the podcast for gamers and game designers, with your hosts, one of which is great at Monopoly and the other one who is very much not, Aiden and Shelby. Hey, I'm Aiden. Um, I'm, I'm having a hard time telling which one is which. It'll end yeah, there. Yeah, me, me too. That's the point, Aiden. Right. Anyway, so this is episode six, Applied Game Design Theory. So this is going to be a fun one, actually. Yes. So we're five episodes in now. We've learned enough that we can apply what we've learned to games we've all played. Yeah, really old games. And in this case, we're going to apply it to games that are not, strictly speaking, good. Or, strictly speaking, games. (laughs) (laughs) It's true. So the three games we're going to be focusing on today are Monopoly, Clue. Also known as Cluedo in other parts of the world. It's true. And finally, Risk. So I wanted to do this episode on the heels of positive and negative feedback in games because a lot of what we're going to talk about in these three games is problems with positive feedback. Where, if you didn't watch episode four, positive feedback is just, if you start to win, you're going to win even more. And by the same token, if you're going to lose, you're going to lose even more. Yeah, so there's going to be a lot to do with positive feedback, as well as luck versus skill in these games. We're going to find that there is not quite a balance between the two. Oftentimes, there's a lot of luck, mostly in the form of RNG, random number generators, as in dice rolls, and we're going to talk about it all. I'm also going to tell you how to win at these games. Yes, that's also important. And alongside, if you do want to win at these games, but perhaps these games aren't for you, but you kind of like maybe the flavor that's going on, some of the mechanics, we're going to suggest better games that you may enjoy even more than these classic classics. (laughs) These classic classics. Yes. You really are a wordsmith. (laughs) Thank you, Aiden. I appreciate that. Let's get into it. So, Monopoly. Yes. Monopoly is not a game. No. (laughs) Monopoly is a piece of social commentary by Elizabeth Maggie, the turn of the 20th century. It was never intended to be fun, and shockingly, it isn't. (laughs) Wow. Um, Monopoly, which I, I think the biggest draw of Monopoly personally is that it can be themed to so many different things. I think we've all seen... You know, German Shepherd-themed Monopoly, um, Mass Effect-themed Monopoly, um, Disney-themed Star Wars, whatever, right? It's it's all there. (laughs) Just literally anything you can think of, and it's just something, you'd be like, oh, that's kind of cute, and you'll just own it and never play it, and it'll just be there. Exactly. I think Monopoly is very much, you kind of want to own your favorite version, and then it probably just sits on the shelf. (laughs) But we're applying our game design theory, so let's take what we've learned and apply it to Monopoly and figure out what makes it so bad. Yes. So the problems. Number one, the raw, unadulterated, positive feedback. This Aiden, do you want to go into that? This is kind of like what makes Monopoly fun and not fun. It's just kind of a dice <laughs> roll to see which player gets ahead and will just crush everyone else into the dust. And they sit there having a ball. Everyone else is just like, oh, look, I rolled and I'm on your thing again. Now I lose. And oh, my God, I got to mortgage everything. And this is so much fun. But other players are just like, this is great. I have $3,000 in the bank and I have all the properties. Yeah, so... Alongside this is we're going to just let's just slide into the next point and talk about both of them. So there's also raw unadulterated RNG. So this is where we ask the question, why Why? dice rolling for movement? Why was this a thing? And why did everyone think that this was something that you could use to inform game design for a long time afterwards? So basically the way Monopoly works is that you roll the dice, you move somewhere. Oftentimes you will land on property taxes or somebody else's property. And you're going to have to pay a wad of cash that either you didn't really want to pay because let's say you draw a card from the random card chance deck and it's like oh like okay and preface here we played the star wars episode one version the best version actually yeah it was (laughs) oh my goodness don't even get me started but i drew a card and it was like build you build a lightsaber pay 150 dollars and early game that is crippling and so i had to pay 150 dollars and i was like i don't even want this stupid lightsaber um and so it was things 
that were setting me back that it wasn't even other players getting in my way. It was just the luck of the game yeah. being terrible. So when you sit down to play the game of Monopoly, you're just rolling the dice to see if you're going to get the good luck and get the good positive feedback and you're off to the races. The yeah. game will be over, will ostensibly be over very early on. Hopefully. <laughs> I've played some long Monopoly games in my day, none of which were fun. <laughs> so the interesting part, I guess, is that there's a di- diplomatic aspect to it. Yes. So you're allowed to trade with other players and stuff. The problem is, is I've played this game a lot, both as a student of game design and as like a casual gamer as a younger when I was younger. Mm-hmm. No one really wants to trade. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. As soon as we sat down to play... Um, a couple nights ago, just to sort of refresh ourselves, I immediately got a property and Aiden also had the same colored property. And I looked him dead in the eye and I was like, Aiden, I will never give this to you. Because <laughs> you, you, like, even if like I have two reds and an orange and yeah. you have two oranges and a red, yeah. we're not going to trade to complete our monopolies. No, no, because that we, means... We don't want to help each other. Exactly. And then it, we would be on the same playing field. I don't want to be the same playing field as you. I want to be above which is hard in Monopoly because you're always getting screwed over by one thing or another, basically. And we've kind of nicknamed this genre of games uh, diplomacy and development, yeah. where it's just kind of about you're role-playing something, maybe it's a civilization, maybe it's a character, but you have to rely on diplomacy with other players to advance. The problem is, is it's a zero-sum game a lot of the time, so every time a trade happens, one player essentially benefited more than the other, making one player has done a good play and the other player did a mistake. Yeah. So there's no version of this where both players have benefited. Yes, I mean, in the short term, it can be like maybe there's, or if we, if we played a four-player game and we each completed our monopolies, well, we basically just guaranteed ourselves to be the final two. But yeah, but then th- then that makes the game longer yes. because two people or three people, let's even even say that they all kind of have these pieces of property, and then it's just sort of like waiting for people to land and yeah. for you to hopefully not land on expensive property and have to pay money so that you can just sort of collect and hopefully everyone will go bankrupt before you do, yeah. which is just also kind of not fun because it's just a waiting game then. It's true. So Shelby, how do you win at Monopoly? All right, here are the surefire ways to at least kind of give yourself a bit of an edge. Besides just not playing it at first. Besides just (laughs) how to win at Monopoly is to never ever play it. Okay, (laughs) but actually how to win. So if you can, try and go first. Just persuade everyone. Just be like, oh, it's like, uh, it's whoever's birthday is next. And it's just like that sort of crap. Just, just fight tooth and nail to go first that's an advantage yeah also my birthday is coming up if anyone is is wondering oh, okay. it's october 16th it's oh, very it's very near all right stop, um stop okay technically <laughs> the rule so you have to do a high roll to see oh first. i see but you, yes. can, you just fight tooth and nail to get, get first. the reason you want to go first is because you're going to have your pick of property immediately so if you land on something for one you're probably going to be able to buy it because you start out with a lot of cash and two the person behind you is not going to be able imagine to imagine going last in like an eight player game that every other player has taken between like one to three rolls and it's bought properties you're just gonna land on someone else's crap you're not gonna get to buy anything you're just gonna pay them you are you have like no chance of winning everyone else is going around the board way faster than you exactly because let's say you buy a property you go first and the second player they land on that property that was just bought and well not only do they not get to buy it they have to play they have to pay that player a little bit of money and even though it's a small amount at the beginning it's still it stings a little you know and that only builds over the course of the game Okay, so going first is good, but you also want to try your best to buy the orange and red properties. These are more valuable than the blue ones at the end. Yes. By a mile. Yes. This is because they are the most landed on squares in the game, largely due to their positioning in accordance to where the jail cell is. So players will often get sent to jail and then... Uh, they'll have to get out of jail, of course, and that resets them just in front of those and are, orange and they are between like seven and twelve spaces away from there. Yes, which is optimal obvious, rolling, which is, which is the right, which is about what you'll be rolling in one or two dice rolls with two d six. So orange and red properties, try and get your hands on those. Trade down, go buy a green property, trade it for all the orange ones. <laughs> exactly. I don't care. Get the orange and red; they're bad. They're the best. 
Also, in the early game, you want to try and buy your way out of jail or had, um, grab a get-out-of-jail-free card, something like that, because in the early game, your only goal is to just get property. You just you just want property, yeah. and if you're in jail, you're not going to be able to do that. Every All the other players are going to snap up that property. However, in the late, late game. game, this is exactly the opposite. You want to go to jail, because then when you have all your property, you're building, you're building some houses, you're, you're having a good time. When you're in jail, that just gives you the ability to just kind of sit back and watch as other players hopefully pay you a bunch of money and you don't have to pay anyone because you're not landing on anything. the only squares you want to land on are the chance cards anymore because they they might just give you some money. But assuming everything else has been purchased, there's just no benefits landing on your own property. You're only risking landing everyone else's property. Yeah, there's really no reason to be going around the board anymore. I guess besides 200 bucks for go. Yeah, I guess that. Um, But what's that really going to matter once you have like six houses? Once you're you're paying $2,000 to the person with (laughs) that last blue square with the hotel. Exactly. Um, there's another one called, okay, then this is going to depend on the version of Monopoly you have, but it's called a housing shortage. So this is something where you can actually buy up all the houses. I think there's only 35, 32, 32. There are only 32 houses in some games. And once all those are purchased, you can no longer buy any more houses. Now, I'm just going to put a little asterisk on this tip. (laughs) If you have bought 32 houses, I think you were winning anyway. Yeah, you're probably going to win anyway, but you know, it's, it's a way, it's a way to play the game. I'm not really sure. (laughs) I've like correlation equals causation here. Like (laughs) you're probably going (laughs) to, uh, two other notes, utilities suck, never buy them. Spend aggressively on everything else, though. Even yes. the train stations, or in our episode one version, they were pod racers. Those are yes, those are completely serviceable properties, and yeah. that's about it. Yeah. Ho- hope you get lucky. But really, if you want to win a monopoly, just play something else. <laughs> Speaking of which, what is what is a better monopoly? All if you right. want a monopoly esque experience, that's actually like a well designed board game. What would you go for? So, if you're really into those diplomacy and development type games, we would highly recommend to you Settlers of Catan. Um, This is also a bit of an older game. It also relies on dice rolls, but it doesn't snowball quite as quickly as Monopoly. The positive feedback is much more limited. So it's still a diplomacy and development type game, although the snowball-y effect is not as bad. The positive feedback is not as insane. Yeah, there are still dice rolls, but your chances of getting a resource are pretty good. Now, the diplomacy can also be frustrating, and this is what we're going to kind of nickname as ulterior mode of diplomacy, which we discussed earlier, where it's like one player will essentially always get screwed over in any formal exchange in the game. Mm-hmm. This is particularly prevalent in Catan. Yes. <laughs> but that's kind of fun. Like, I mean, like it, it exists, but like ulterior mode of diplomacy is just, it's just a social mechanic. I think it's just very common in a lot of games, the typical criticism of it. Yes. So just be aware um, of the people you're playing with. <laughs> and just be aware that there's if, if, some... If they're named Aiden, we'll convince everyone that Toby's leader. Exactly. There's going to be some negotiations going on, but it's a good alternative to Monopoly, and we think it's a pretty good game. Alternatively, if you are willing to branch out into video games, I'd recommend Civilization V. To me, this kind of encompasses the fun part of Monopoly, which is just snowballing an advantage and just kind of compounding your positive feedback so you get better and better and you get more efficient. But unlike in Monopoly, it's not to the detriment of other players. That you all just kind of do this in your own realm of the world for a while, and conflict kind of emerges later. But it's just, you just sit there and hang out, and you build your civilization. It's a much better time, and you don't have to pay everyone property tax. Yeah, and Civilization, I believe, um, is 20 bucks on Steam? Something like that. Civilization so, 5 in particular. Civil- yeah, one, Civilization 5. So that's, you know, not a bad not a bad uh, bang for your buck there. All right, what's our final, final uh, score yeah, for this so review out of Monopoly? Monopoly final score is two income taxes out of seven. That's a generous two income taxes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Clue. All right, Clue, the game that everyone loves to forget. <laughs> so this game emerged... 
a little bit later. This was a 1950s design, so about 50 yeah. years after Monopoly. And it brought back the beloved feature of using dice rolls to inform movement. Yes, so I'm going to go out here and say this is one of Clue's biggest problems. A lot of the time, the game hinges on you getting to a room in order to be able to guess the murder weapon, the location, and the character who you think committed the murder. Yeah. And the problem is, if you roll a dice, and let's say you roll a four on your first turn, you cannot physically move enough spaces to enter a room and make a guess. And so this, this mechanic, is a huge problem. This mechanic does nothing. <laughs> yeah, it, it sets you back immediately because you immediately have less information than the other players. And information is what drives this game. And so it's really debilitating, I think, and very harsh. And I don't think it adds a lot to the game. Um, because most of the time, you know, honestly, players will get enough um enough of a high number to be able to traverse to a room. So it just really doesn't make sense to me that there would be like every once in a while a player isn't going to be able to get there. It just seems needlessly harsh and not fun. There's a big asymmetry in how the cards are, are played. I think there's 21 cards. Yes. Which is not an easily divided number for four players. <laughs> yes, we were playing last night with two other friends and they were dealt five cards each, and I looked at Aiden, we both had four. Oh, so there's 18 cards. 18 cards. 18 plus three in the, in the, in the envelope. Yes, okay, yes. that makes sense. All right, yep. we figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's always three cards that go in the envelope, of course, for who actually did it. Um, but that's a huge dis disadvantage, not yeah. having a card. That's, that's massive. 25% more cards than you. <laughs> right? That's, and so that was just sort of like, that's just bad game design. You should be able to play, when your game says two to four players, it should play well with two to four players, right? Um, so that was that was very frustrating, um, and I'm yeah I'm I'm still a little miffed about it. <laughs> and even like the cards you are dealt are better than others. It may seem just yeah. kind of like oh whatever this is random. The rooms are a lot better. You want to be yes. holding rooms, and which really sucks. I can be like I'd love to put this in the how to win section, but it's like you can't decide what cards you're holding. Yeah. Because if you have a room and you show that card to a player who's in the room, well, they just, they have to leave the room. There's no point in sitting there and guessing anymore. But if yeah. you just show them a weapon, they'll just be like, okay, I'll just wander off to the next room and I can go back to that room. Yeah. That room might be it for all I know. Exactly. And but having the rooms allows you to traverse to a lot more places without having to guess. Like, let's say you're in the library and you don't have the library card. Someone else could just keep showing you that card, right? Like, yeah. if the library is the only room you can get to. But if you're holding the library, you can guess whatever person and whatever weapon you want. And you won't be in danger of having someone giving you repeat information. Because you have and that library. Even more beneficial, people will think, like, oh, maybe this player is onto something. And they'll come over to the library to be like, oh, what's going on here? And you're like, it's not here, man. <laughs> it's not here. Yeah, I'm sorry. And then they'll hate you and it's fine. Um, but yeah, so the, the number of cards is a problem. Um, holding rooms can be a problem for other players when they're not holding as many rooms. Going first still an advantage, even yes. with dice rolls. Yeah, going first. And the flavor is kind of all over the place. Because on the one hand, yeah. it's kind of creepy that it's like, ooh, like there's just, there's actual like tangible information that's put in the envelope of secrecy or whatever it's called. And you have yeah. to figure that out. On the other hand, if you figure out that, you're, that your character is the killer and you're still trying to figure out who it is and like accuse yourself, <laughs> what is, what is, it what starts is to get weird here? too, because as soon as you figure out that, so let's say you're playing Miss Scarlet and you're like, oh my gosh, I just figured out that Miss Scarlet, like I'm the murderer. And then you have to be like, okay, what weapon did I use? Yeah. How, how did like, I do this again? You don't know the, <laughs> the weapon that you, you know, like it just sort of gets right. to get a little bit murky. So, which, you know, speaking isn't, of, isn't great. Speaking of Miss Scarlet, how do you win at Monopoly? Okay. So to win at Monopoly, Miss Scarlet always goes first. That is literally in the rule. So when you're picking your characters, choose to be Miss Scarlet because then you'll be able to go first, get to a room first, you'll get a first guess, you'll get more information than other players. It's just a good time. Go first. And again, we've mentioned this before, bait people into rooms you're holding. Yes. Because being able to deny someone 
being able to disprove a guess with a room is a huge swing. Yeah, like if you're in the, the library... The hugest swing there is in this kind of game, I guess. <laughs> if you're in the library and someone's like, oh man, I'm going to check out the library, and then you're like, just kidding, man. <laughs> I had you, you it the whole now. time. Yeah, then that's going to screw somebody up, right? Um, make, you can make deceptive guesses, like guessing cards that you are holding. Yeah. To try to throw players off of what you are holding, because, you know, they have no way to know otherwise. Uh, pay attention. <laughs> <laughs> Keep track of Good what you Good advice for any guessing. game, really. Yeah. Uh, make sure you don't make any guesses. Don't guess things are already crossed off your list, whether you're holding them or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, listen to other players' questions. Figure out what they're on about. And if you really want to take a spiky approach, and the spike is just a type of gamer that just wants to win at any given cost, doesn't really care about having fun, write down every single question that is asked and who yes. disproves it. Eventually you'll figure out, based on players' questions, what they don't have and what they do have, because they're going to keep asking about... Two of the things they ask a lot of the time are going to be what they know, so that yeah. they're looking for that third piece of information they don't know, and they're going to guarantee that they now, get it. I'm going to go ahead and say that you shouldn't do this if you're just trying to have fun. Yeah, it's a lot to keep track of. It can really bog down the game. It's and I don't think Clue was ever designed to be hyper-competitive. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd relax on that last one. But, all right, if you enjoy the premise of Clue, perhaps some puzzle solving, some social seduction, we've social, got... Social seduction. Social seduction. <laughs> social deduction. Social deduction. Oh, that makes more sense. <laughs> Um, the game of if love. You, a game of love. <laughs> there are cute games like that. What is that date one? Fog, Fog of, love? of love. Whatever. It's very cute. cute. Okay, so we have some recommendations for you for better clue. Mystery of the Abbey is sort of our first kind of go. This is a more recent game. Yeah. It is literally just better clue. They it took is. the Quite same premise of clue and just improved on it significantly. For one thing, there is no dice rolling. You can Hallelujah. <laughs> cue the trumpets. Um, you move a total of two spaces yeah. each time. Yeah. Doesn't matter. It's for everybody. There's no useless hallway sections. Yeah, that are weird. It's just everything. Basically, everywhere you move, there is something that you can do. So you're always doing things. You're always thinking about where you can move next. There there's so many more mechanics and, yeah. and how to figure out what the problem is. Like, yeah. there's like... You can talk to other players. You can you can talk about what you, what you guys know. Yes. So the social component is actually, I think, much more interesting because you can ask. You're trying to find. You're in like a priest place or whatever. So you can ask like. Oh, you're in an abbey. It's mystery of the abbey. Show whatever. Okay. Listen, man. <laughs> I don't know. Abbey could be a, a girl. People who don't play this game right, will not right. know. <laughs> mystery of the girl named Abby. <laughs> okay, but you're you're asking. You could ask a player like, okay, like. How many bald guys do you have checked off on your card? And like yeah. that would give you some information, right? So it gets really, you can kind of be creative with the questions you ask, which I think keeps the players much more engaged, much more involved can, in what's going on. But like you, you don't just go to rooms and guess. You like, you can go to things and like look at the library and like do research. And like there's yeah. so many different ways to investigate besides just wandering on making guesses. And that's yeah. kind of one of the problems I have with Clue. The gameplay is the same yes. throughout. There is one action you can take. <laughs> yeah. So basically, Mystery of the Abbey improves basically in every area. The flavor is also better. You are never in danger of being the murderer. You're always yes. looking for somebody else so that's never gonna kind of mess with your with your brain there um and yeah it's just it's just a better option i'm gonna put an asterisk on this as well because as much as it is better clue i don't think it's actually a fantastic game it's a good game i don't think it's incredible yeah so let's just break down to what makes clue interesting it's the puzzle solving and social deduction (laughs) so if you wanted a good social deduction game shelby where would you look uh, for a social deduction game, Aiden, Avalon or The Resistance, both are very, sim- uh, very basically similar. the same game, but that's um, kind of like playing Clue, but the murder's at the table and they have a different win condition. Yes, yeah, so this is very much about talking to other players, trying to figure out 
who went on the mission, what their goals could have been. Um, it's very simple to play, which is also nice. It's I think really it takes, spicy when there's multiple killers at the table. Yes, also that. I think it takes less than five minutes to learn. It's not super expensive. You can play with a whole bunch of people. Yeah. It's very accessible. And I think it's a it's a good time for social right. deduction. And how about on the other uh, angle? How about a puzzle-solving game? Yeah, so if you're looking for purely puzzle-solving, just kind of logicking your way through, um, we would definitely recommend Escape... Um, basically escape rooms in a box. So escape rooms are really big right now, but there are board games coming out where you can basically... And we love these things. We they do. are very good approximations of the real thing. Um, so basically you're just solving puzzles, riddles, yeah. number, sequences, whatever it is. It's kind of hard to describe, but if you go buy one, you will you will feel like you did an escape yeah. room. Yeah, so the ones... The, the, the best brand is called Exit. Yeah, the ones Aiden and I play a lot. I think it's just Exit the Room. Um, there's uh, different categories, so like one's on like a frozen train or something, another one was in a cabin, um, and there's so lots of different ones, and they're super fun. All right, final score for Clue. All right, <laughs> final score for Clue is a solid three jacques out of six, or two if you end up being only the killer. Only two jacques? <laughs> only two jacques, but okay. only if you end up being the killer, because okay, it just ruins everything. All right, finally, let's move on to Risk. All righty. This came out around the same time as Clue, and I'm going to spoil it for you. A big problem we have it is the dice rolls. Yeah, so Risk is a war-based game. It's a war game. It's the progenitor of the war game genre. There's a bunch of miniatures. You're fighting over territory, and the way you fight is through dice rolls, which is really annoying because you can have, like, six dudes against two dudes, and the two dudes will win because they rolled sixes and you did not. We call this the the Terry dilemma, where you have one guy in your province named Terry fight off an army of thousands on his own like Batman. Yeah. And that's just something that can happen in the game. And it was really, really frustrating, and I hate Terry. They made a hilarious hilarious story, at least. That's true. Um, so Risk is also a diplomacy and development game because you are often interacting with other players at the table trying to have like peace treaties and you're trying to obviously develop your army, get reinforcements. Um, and Richard Garfield, the designer of Magic the Gathering, he actually makes a great point that all of these kinds of games, um, Risk-like games, if you will. Yeah, like, like, like Monopoly and Catan Yeah, like Monopoly and Catan. They're all very similar with the idea that there's always going to be an you're, ulterior you're trying, motive. You're trying to convince the other players to make a deal that is ultimately harmful for them. Yeah. And then like act like you're being all peaceful, then inevitably backstab them. Yeah. We're not saying this is bad. We're no. just saying it's kind of everywhere. Yes. <laughs> and that is something to be aware of um, when you're playing the game, when you're designing the game. So something Aiden and I noticed with Risk is that we it, played it with just each other. It does not work as a two-player game. And it's terrible as a two-player game. <laughs> So basically, one of I went first. This is also going to be a key for later. And I was just able to not only get an extra territory, um, but what else? You you crippled my uh, re- reinforcements off the bat because you took yes. much of my territories. Yes, I got to go. I got to go first. Um, not only in placing my guys, but then later on, I was able to just take out all of the guys that I wanted, basically from your from your army. And then you were kind of crippled going into your turn. Um, and basically, I ended up winning the game that way. I just sort of kept building up reinforcements. The positive feedback just seriously snowballed because there was no one else to like the dice, stop me, right? Like it was just rolls, Aiden. The dice rolls are a big deal, but they're not going to save me. Yeah, exactly. Like, that would be a huge statistical anomaly to actually like win going second in a game just by virtue of good <laughs> dice rolls. Yeah. I, th- I think playing Risk with two players is just kind of like an arm wrestle. Yeah. It's just, you're just throwing forces at each other. It's nothing interesting. The game does get a lot better with three or four players. And I'm going to also say that Risk is like the best game we're reviewing here. <laughs> yeah, it's not particularly a bad game. It's I just, just think very there, are, simple. there are better ones, basically. And the, the social dynamics are exactly what you'd expect. It's convincing players that you're not a threat and making alliances and letting yourself just kind of build up your armies or let your armies escape to other territories and things like that. Just letting the social aspects play out is the more, most interesting part. Yes. So how do you win at risk? In a two-player game, you go first. 
is in the game we played, you went first, felt like you made a crap ton of mistakes, and still won by a mile. That's true. But what about in a multiplayer game? More people will probably play right. with more people. In a multiplayer <laughs> game, try to make yourself seem kind of innocent and like you're not really up to much. Take a take an easy to defend territory like North America, South America, or Australia. Mm-hmm. Hold on to that, and just slowly creep, build your advantage incrementally. Slow, deliberate <laughs> expansion, and stay out of conflict if you can. Yes. Yeah, so the more you fight, the smaller your army is going to become because you risk losing units. So it's better to just have those peace treaties with other players as best you can and just sort of stay out of the conflict. This is kind of a dilemma you see in lots of games that feature more than two players, is that if two players beat the crap out of each other, the third player will swoop in and beat yes. the remaining one who just got the crap beaten out of them even though they won. So all of a sudden, no one's incentivized to get into combat. Yeah. They, they, all, they all want to be the third person who comes in and reaps the rewards. Very true. All right, but if you do love the mechanics of risk and the the feeling you of want controlling, a good, good war game. yeah, the feeling of the you know controlling that army, making those big decisions, we would highly recommend War of the Ring. So this game is only for two players, but it's awesome for two players. So keep that in mind. Um, if you want a game for more than two players that is risk like, we would recommend Twilight Imperium. But for now, we're going to talk about War of the Ring. And both of both this and Twilight Imperium, very complex. Yes. Also keep this in mind. There's going to be a lot to think about. So basically, War of the Ring, it's not just about brute force and rolling dice to advance your armies. There's politics involved. So sometimes there will be, you know, people you're trying to get on board in order to fight and they'll just be like, you know what? We don't think there's a problem. And some armies will actually withdraw from the war and just sort of leave you yeah. by yourself, which I think is very interesting and fun. It's it's not brute force. It's about politics and convincing people that this is something worth fighting for. There are also many different win conditions, including, you know, getting, because this is Lord of the Rings themed, right? So including getting to the ring to, to, to Mordor, including uh, Sauron spotting Frodo and Sam on their way. Um, taking, basically, taking strongholds. Yeah, taking total cities. domination. Um, it's also deeply complex with a variety of mechanics. Every so, single member of the Fellowship has their own mechanic. Yes, which is insane. So, like, if Gandalf dies, he'll come back again as Gandalf the White. Other if Aragorn ones, wise, he comes so back much. as Aragorn the White. Just kidding, that doesn't <laughs> Just, happen. That doesn't happen. <laughs> but there's a lot to keep track of. Even the dice rolls, there are ways for the, um, the Sauron army specifically to split up dice rolls in order to search for Frodo and Sam while still kind of advancing yeah. the army. So, basically, there's a lot to think about. And essentially, it's, it's risk with a trillion other mechanics. Yeah. Which is kind of what Risk needed. It needed yeah. more complexity. Yeah, so if you're if you're ready to sit down for the long haul and really invest some time in a game that will be amazing the more you play it, totally recommend War of the Ring. If you want a slightly simpler, war-like experience that is not Risk, we'd recommend a game called Small World. This is kind of a cuter one. It's not actually as war-themed. It's just kind of about like playing these little fantasy races. And you, but they're kind of like, they can be like diplomatic or orcs or just <laughs> like chemist elves and all sorts of weird stuff like that. Yeah. And it's, it's much faster, it's very accessible, but it still kind of gets that war experience across without being a, a six-hour Lord of the Rings simulator. Nice. <laughs> and a bonus suggestion, Civilization V, again. Again, it's back. So this kind of takes all of the complexities in games like Twilight Imperium and War of the Ring and puts them into a video game. It just makes all of that stuff automated. And it's yeah. just, it's very easy to pick up. And in many ways, Civilization V is just kind of like an awesome board game. That it kind of takes all of the best parts of these war games and all these best parts of these... De- diplomacy and development type games and just kind of smushes them together and it just makes it really quick and fast and automated and i think that's kind of why board games suck sometimes because you have to do a lot of this stuff manually <laughs> true. all right so for risk our final score is going to be what what is our final five score? terries out of nine <laughs> five terries out of nine which is just as good as five thousand orcs out of nine thousand there you perfect well done <laughs> five million elves out of nine million we could do this all day that's <laughs> true all right want to head into takeaways all right takeaways for episode six all right so 
Do not let classic board games inform your game design. That is how we got the movement through dice rolling thing that, that I think is still around. I remember like a few times like designing games in like elementary school and stuff. They'd just, like make a board game and we'd always just use the roll dice to move because yeah. we had nothing else. And yeah. it was terrible and it is terrible. <laughs> and I'm not saying that, you know, if your game is really well suited to rolling to move for whatever reason, I personally have yet to see a game that does this well, but let us know if there is one that you think does this well. Um, but, you know, just just try something else, you know, innovate, always try to create something that no one else has thought of yet or, or do something better. Um, I think that's really important with game design. Be creative, right? You don't you don't have to fall back on these things just because Monopoly has sold millions of games around the world <laughs> doesn't mean you have to keep making Monopoly clones. And if you're going to start with your game design saying, I want to make a better X, I want to make a better Risk, I want to make a better Monopoly. Don't just copy the mechanics and add complexity. I know that's kind of what War of the Ring did to Risk, but that's how the rolling to move mechanic continued for ages and ages. Just think about what made the game fun and build on that. Distill the game to its essence. Like Monopoly, the fun is snowballing and advantages, building on, building on what you've built on and just creating this hilarious empire. That's the fun part. Think about what makes that fun. It's not the rolling dice part. <laughs> yeah, and think about what might make a game not fun. The frustrating part of Monopoly is the insane RNG, and maybe try and not yeah. include those bits. <laughs> Take the fun, not the bad, <laughs> and find a way to just, like you said, really distill it to its essence. I know something I'm going to say that is not a takeaway for this episode. We're not saying that positive feedback and RNG are bad. No, not at all. <laughs> they, they just kind of get out of hand in classic board games, and if yeah. you want to learn more about that, I'd recommend checking out episodes one and five to learn about why RNG and positive and negative feedback, respectively, can be good in game design. Exactly, exactly. It's just, you know, it's it's not the these things that's uh, bad or good, it's, it's how you use them. <laughs> there you go. And that's what dictates. Awesome. So we'll see you next time, huh? Yeah. Thanks for tuning in. All right, so for the sign-off this week, playing all of these crappy board games <laughs> has kind of elicited some frustrations out of you, hasn't yes, it? So you yes. wanted to talk a bit about... Dealing with defeat and losing as a gamer. <laughs> yeah, so for me personally, I do not deal well with losing board games. I am I am much more in love with video games for the sole reason that I can play by myself. They're so single, single player, player video single game. player video games are much more up my alley. Um, and multiplayer games I don't mind as much for, for video games because I can't see the other person. They don't know who I am. Um, which is very helpful for me because when I play board games in a social situation, my anxiety goes through the roof because people are watching me. They're watching what I'm doing. I'm very aware that I am playing around other people and they're going to have like opinions of me. Like if I lose the game, I'm going to, I just feel stupid. I just, I can't help it. I just do. And it doesn't, I'm very bad at differentiating between when I lose because I got unlucky and when I lose because I made a bad move. I will always think I lost because I made a bad move. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter if we were rolling dice and whoever rolled a six won. If I rolled a one, I will feel bad. <laughs> and that's just like a personal thing with me, of course. Um, I think it's a thing a lot of gamers struggle with. And though. yeah, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm wondering too. So perhaps, you know, feel free to reach out and share your gaming experience. But for me personally, I like the idea of board games more than I actually like playing them because it can be extremely frustrating. Because <laughs> like me. I remember, like we kind of had a like a weirdly fun time playing Monopoly. We never finished a playthrough of Monopoly even no. before this episode. We kind of come saying, "Hey, you guys want to play Monopoly?" And just kind of it was just kind of ridiculous and funny and hilarious. And then like yeah. five minutes and we'd be like, "Well, this is miserable." And yeah, I, and I'd be like, "This is terrible. <laughs> I hate it." Although the winner would be having a good time. Yeah. Well, yeah. I feel like I would like Monopoly a lot more if uh, if I won. <laughs> if the if the RNG snowballed in my direction. <laughs> and I've dealt with this a lot too, and I've kind of learned to temper it a bit as I play a lot of magic competitively and that's yeah. a game that's a best two out of three and if you get upset in the first game that's just going to screw up your games two and three 
So that's something like how I've kind of tried to learn to maintain a bit of a cooler head, but I'm still just as susceptible as you are to getting frustrated with the board game. Yeah, so it's something that I'm always working on, trying to be more comfortable around other people and playing games and not thinking so much that it's like, this is a reflection of who I am as a person. If I lose this game, yeah. I'm like a loser in real life. Like, Don't no, beat right? yourself like... up rolling a one. <laughs> I'm, I'm working on it, but um, yeah, <laughs> video games are great. Board games, I'm, I'm working on it. Thank you for listening to this episode of Panic Mode. You can reach us on social media at panicmode.net, all spelled out, or on our website, panicmode.net. We would love to hear any comments, questions, or feedback you have about today's episode, and we'll be back next time where we'll discuss complexity in game design. We'll see you then. Yeah.